0: Hey, it's Chris coming up this week on the Pickleball Show.
1: He told me, oh my gosh, you got to try this sport. Uh, (laughs) It's called Pickleball. We all get together and then we have a beer. It is so much fun. And I was like, sure, why not? Is there anything that is competitive and it has the beer element afterwards? I'm there.
0: (laughs) That's coming up next. FreePBXClub.com. PBX Pickleball Excellence. Join the club. It's free.
1: Hi, it's CJ. And here's the guy Selkirk pays not to use their paddles, Chris Allen. (laughs)
0: Thank you, CJ. From the home of the Engage World Series of Pickleball, Asheville, North Carolina, this is the Pickleball Show. I am your host, Chris Allen. What does it take to run the table and become the Triple Crown winner? at the uh, US Open. That's when you win Singles, mixed, and doubles. Two people did it at this past U.S. Open. Jennifer Dawson and our guest today, Simone Jardim. I'll talk to her in just a couple of minutes. We'll also bring in Mark Renison from Third Shot Sports. First, I wanted to give you an update on the Engage World Series of pickleball happening here in Asheville, September 29th, 30th, October 1st. What a beautiful weekend to visit the mountains. The leaves are going to be spectacular. About The only thing prettier than those leaves here in Western North Carolina is going to be the pickleball that we're going to be playing. We've got the world's best players coming to Asheville, and we want you to share the court with them. What makes the World Series of Pickleball so unique is that this is the only tournament where you can play with and compete against the top players in the game, the pickleball stars that maybe you've only ever seen play on little YouTube videos. Now you can share the court with them. You don't have to go to some big tournament and they're not in your category and you know, you're know you 200 feet away and you can't hardly see them at all. Nope, this is a tournament, the only tournament, where you can walk out on the court and either be on the other side of the net against them or be partnered up with them. And that'll happen on Friday, we're going to raise money for charity and you can play with and against anybody in your division. Saturday is when you team up with your predetermined partner and you compete with everybody in your division for the largest cash prize in pickleball history. Only four divisions now. We keep it real simple. It's men, women, under 50, over 50. That's it. Now again, it's coming at the end of September, the 29th, 30th, October 1st, but the best time to get your ticket is right now because it's never going to be more affordable than it is right now. $75 off of your buy-in in the month of June only. You can get all the details at our website. We've linked to it in the show notes for this episode. Easy to remember, WSOPB.com, which stands for World Series of Pickleball.com. You can even go to WorldSeriesOfPickleball.com. It'll take you there as well. Also, this is is not one of those tournaments where you play two games maybe and uh, you lose the first one and uh, now I'm in the loser's bracket and then uh, you lose the second one up uh, you know I'm done for the day and it's not even uh, 9 15 yet <laughs> at the World Series of Pickleball you are guaranteed to play multiple games on Friday you're guaranteed to play six games in your division on Saturday you're guaranteed to play five games in your division so you can come enjoy be ready to play and be ready to watch some awesome pickleball because when you're not playing you get a front row seat to see the absolute best players in the game. Again, this is not a tournament where, ah, gee, now I'm 50 rows back. I can barely see over there. Now this is very limited because it's an indoor facility. This is a select group, and when you're not playing, you are going to have primo access to watch the absolute best players in the game work their magic. The Engage World Series of Pickleball here in Asheville, September 29th, 30th, October 1st. Reserve your spot on the court in the Month of June, save 75 bucks off your buy in, WSOPB.com. We want to see you here. Let's head up to Collingwood, Ontario, Canada, just a couple of hours north of Toronto, and bring in our friend Mark Rennison from ThirdShotSports.com. Hey, Mark.
2: Hi, Chris. Though so I'm afraid I've got to correct you. I'm currently not in uh, Collingwood. I'm in Markham, Ontario, teaching pickleball.
0: Oh, tell me, where is Markham in relation to Collingwood or Toronto?
2: Markham's only about half an hour north of Toronto, it's really close to the airport. And um, they built a beautiful center when Toronto hosted the Pan Am Games mm-hmm. uh, a couple of years ago. And so this is a beautiful facility, 13 indoor courts. It's uh, one of the nicest indoor facilities I've ever taught pickleball at.
0: Oh, nice. So you're that much closer to the Loose Moose in Toronto, my favorite place in (laughs) Toronto. your
2: favorite bar, I know. Um,
0: I gotta tell people, I have been laughing for days over this new video that you did called Pickleball Stereotypes, and it is so funny. I mean, your videos are always informative, but this one is just laugh-out-loud funny. I think I've watched it probably five or six times. It is great.
2: Thanks. This was, um, I mean, I love making these videos and they take some work but by far this was the most enjoyable one i've made so far and i got my friend abby david to help me out and
0: oh she was um, awesome yeah she was yeah, really good abby's
2: abby's great and i think we hit on a lot of the stereotypes that you see out on the pickleball court.
0: you really but- did i don't i was try. i was going through the list in my head thinking did he leave anything out and i think you caught just about every one of them i couldn't come up with one that you didn't cover so well, you you well, you know what,
2: Art? The feedback we've had in the YouTube comments and the emails, people are giving me lists of their own. So <laughs> I think there's definitely
0: going to be a sequel of this. <laughs> oh, that'll be great. And we'll link to it in the show notes. If you're a member of PBX Club, you got the uh, video link over the weekend, but we'll uh, make sure it's in the show notes for this episode as well. It's called Pickleball Stereotypes, and it's really funny. And, uh, yeah, you were great. Abby was. Looked like he shot it down at the U.S. Open. And uh, that is where our guest today totally dominated U.S. Open in April. They did a new thing this year. They had uh, what's called the Triple Crown. And they said if you win singles, mixed, and doubles, you become a Triple Crown winner and you get a, a, a cash bonus. And uh, two people were able to do that at this year's U.S. Open. Jennifer Dawson took it in uh, women's seniors. And in the women's division, singles, doubles, and mixed... We're all won by... Simone Jardim. Hey, Simone, how are you today?
1: I am great. It is great to join you, and I'm looking forward to uh, sharing some of the things that uh, I've learned along the way. The sport is only growing and, and uh, getting bigger and bigger, so it's exciting times.
0: It really is, and I have to say that, uh, well, first, we should probably give credit where it's due. You won singles all by yourself. Your mixed partner that you won uh, pro gold in was uh, Oliver Strecker, and then your women's partner was Corinne Car- And you became that triple crown winner taking all three of those. Congratulations on that.
1: Thank you. Yes, I definitely couldn't have done it without them. You know, Oliver and I uh, only met about a year ago at the U.S. Open, actually. He's really just a a great person. And uh, we stayed connected. and, And then we decided we would play then. And, you know, we played really well. He played amazing. He stepped up huge when I needed him the most. And Corinne, you know, I've been playing with Corinne since day one, since I started playing pickleball. Corinne and I played together in Michigan. I've played pretty much almost every tournament I played with her. We are really good friends, and we play really well together.
0: Well, we are looking forward to having... It was a little thunder. Yeah, we've got a little, yeah, we've got some here in North Carolina too. So, uh, oh, and my little dog just came running in because he heard the thunder and he's a little, has a little bit of thunder anxiety here. (laughs) Yes. But he's okay. One thing, you're not only one of pickleball's greatest players, you also have the coolest name in all of pickleball. It's an awesome name. It's it sounds like a like a really high end perfume or something. I can just hear the TV commercial like, "Ooh, wow, you smell amazing!" And oh, well, thank you. That's uh, Simone Jardim.
1: Oh, well, thank you, thank available. you for the pitch. Anybody who is looking to make yeah. a perfume, just let me know. That's, yeah, it's a
0: great name. It's just yeah, it's like, "Ooh, available only at Saks Fifth Avenue, Simone Jardim.
1: <laughs> that would be fantastic. I do like to smell, you know, smell good. So, uh, you know, all the sweat that goes on in Florida uh, definitely pretty important to uh, stay fresh (laughs) but with my name uh, I am uh, born and raised in Brazil so it is a it's a very common uh, Brazilian name it's Portuguese
0: tell us a little bit about your sports background and how you uh, came to find pickleball and uh, rise to the top so quickly
1: well I coached tennis. I played tennis my entire life. I, uh, I think I was six years old uh, when I started playing tennis and uh, I played all over the world and uh, played a pretty high level. And then I ended up coming to America to play college tennis. And then I got involved with coaching. And when I started coaching, I traveled across America and ended up in, at Michigan State, uh, and that's where I spent eight years coaching. In a, I, I want to say two, yeah, two and a half years ago, one of our boosters, you know, people who support the program, mm-hmm. uh, he told me uh, his name was Walter Pulowski and he's like, "Oh my gosh, you gotta try this sport." <laughs> uh, it's called pickleball and we all get together and all of these guys and then we play pickleball and then we have a beer it is so much fun and I was like sure why not is it you know it's anything that's competitive and and you know it has the beer element afterwards I'm there <laughs> uh, and uh, that's and that's how it started for me it was a beer league um Dan O'Toole then you know I, I kind of got caught up with the season and, and with, with tennis, and I never really went and played. So this guy shows up, and probably you all know Dan O'Toole. He plays all the big tournaments. Mm-hmm. And uh, he showed up at the tennis facility. I was giving practice to the team. He sat there and waited until I was done. And he's like, you need to come play pickleball with us. And I was like, whoa, this guy is serious. Like, I really need to go do this thing, I guess. And, uh, <laughs> and that's how I, I went I went to the MAC and uh, I met Corinne uh, and then I met a bunch of other people. Like they had an amazing group of people. And on Wednesday nights, we would go play for a couple hours. And after that, we would go hang out at the bar, you know, have some food and have a drink. And it was really welcoming, but very different in the sense that uh, here I am, you know, 35 at the time. Corinne was like in her 20, I think 25, 26. And then all of these guys, you know, 50s, 60s, even 70s. I mean, we had all different backgrounds, all different ages, and all of that didn't matter. And it was really cool experience. Instantly, I was like, I want to keep doing this for as long as I can. So I didn't really get hooked on the sport at first, other than this was like fun environment to be in. And then all of a sudden... Corinne and Dan sit me down at the the bar you know the restaurant and the Mac and they're like guess what we we'll sign you up for a tournament and I was like what <laughs> you know and they're like yeah we're gonna go to Kalamazoo in May and you're gonna play this tournament oh and, probably the uh,
0: Hackenbergs were there Jim Von Hackenberg up there
1: yes yeah. and that was it that was it <laughs> that was the end of it that was the the time when I'm now, you know, I'm now done, you know, I'm playing pickleball in every tournament that I can, anything that I can, because it was instant. Mm. I don't know. It was like the, the the competitive, I never lost a competitive drive, but I felt like as a coach is, it was a little different. You know, I, I wasn't on the court playing myself. And when I went and played this tournament, I was like, oh my gosh, like, this is what it is to compete again. And it was crazy, you know? And then I was like, when is our next tournament? You know, everything (laughs) changed. It was like, okay, this is pretty serious now. And, uh, and then I went, we went to play uh, Royal Oak, um, which is when I met Kyle, and we went and played there and we had some amazing games. And then I got to go to nationals that year as well to end the year in November. And that was kinda yeah, I'm I'm hooked. Yeah. Now I'm like watching videos and I'm like watching myself play, and I'm like, okay, this is pretty intense.
2: <laughs> I so. know the feeling. That's such a great story, and that's such a good testament to Simone's athleticism. Like, you know, all the people listening right now, think about it. When you first got introduced to pickleball, when you first stepped on the court, think about how tough that was, how nervous you were. And here you are, Simone playing for the first time. She's playing with, one of the first times, she's playing with Daniel O'Toole, and she's playing with the Hackenbergs, and she's playing with Bryn Carr, and she's playing Rafael, and she's playing with Kyle Yates right at the start. There's not many people that can step into pickleball for the first time and start to compete at that level right
1: off the bat. Thank you.
0: It was a, it was a, I guess a pretty quick, smooth transition going from such a high level tennis background, just to step right into pickleball right at the, at the top.
1: Uh, no, No? (laughs) I wish I could say that, (laughs) but you know, and, and the more I teach a lot of tennis players tend to gravitate towards me as an instructor, because I've been there and done that. Mm -hmm. Like I used to drive the ball a lot from anywhere on the court. I loved doing that. It was like my favorite thing to do. But again, you know, it worked for the most part. The thing is, is that it works to a certain extent. Uh And and the better players that come into the game, that works less and less.
0: The soft game was sort of what you had to develop or add to your game.
1: Correct. I, I was a counterpuncher in tennis. Like I, I had a big forehand. I always hit the ball pretty big, but I also was a very, very good defender. I could stay on the point forever and dig balls and get myself out of trouble. And I had a good drop shot uh, in tennis. So all of those things, I think, translated well into the game. However, a lot of tennis players, when they come into pickleball, the thing that it's, it's instant is... C ball, go to it, Mm -hmm. right? Because that's what you do in tennis. So for example, on a serve, you serve, then the person returns, the tendency is to run right into it and drive it. And again, it's not that, you know, I didn't have the thought of trying to do a third shot or where I didn't have the ability to do it It is more like what was ingrained in my head to do all of those 30 years. Mm -hmm. So, so it was, it was something about fighting my, you know, instincts, fighting what I knew and kind of try to stay put, don't move into the ball, stay back, you know, wait for the ball and then get under and hit a third shot drop. I mean, that took me a little bit of time. And then, you know, into the transition area, which a lot of people call like no man's land. Whenever I got in that area, I would just drive the ball. I mean, it was lights out. Like I was going hard, uh, and and I, you know, a lot of the times it worked, but you can't count on that shot to work against some of the you know especially you know some of the people I'm playing against now like that doesn't work because they can just now toy with you drive the ball right back at your feet because you're not in you gotta you know soften a fifth like you know I I still think it's okay to drive a third every now and then especially like I drive third shots today however it's not like it's it's a decision making as a shot selection so if the ball is below my my knees it would be silly for me to drive that ball. It's a low percentage shot, first of all, Mm -hmm. but also what is that gonna do for me and my partner? Nothing.
2: I think a lot of the listeners are probably wondering, well, what is it when, when Simone says that up to a certain level or to a certain extent that drive works, but once you get to the higher level, you can't count on it to win. What is it that changes? Is it that opponents you're playing against now, their volley skills are that much better and they can handle the drives? Is that the difference?
1: I think so. I think there is a little bit of that. But but then again, I know that a lot of people who are not tennis players, they know, you know, they say, oh, my tennis players, all they do is bang. But this is the part where I feel like a lot of the four O tennis players, they can handle those balls, those hard volleys pretty easily. So even a 4-0, sometimes it doesn't work. To drive a ball from no man's land. What they do is that that ball is coming fast right at your feet because they like that pace.
2: It's the counter punching you were talking about before, right? Like you can drive from three quarter court, they'll maintain the speed or even add speed to that drive. And then all of a sudden you've got balls landing at your feet. And what are you supposed to do with those?
0: Right.
1: Correct. Gotcha. That is exactly it. Yep.
0: Well, that's, I mean, it's a, an amazing story the way that you discovered the game and, and just came in so quickly and rose to the top so quickly. And then was it last year you moved from Michigan down to Naples and you started along with Kyle Yates, the U.S. Open Pickleball Academy.
1: Yeah, so actually it was uh, Jim Ludwig, which is the guy that uh, one of uh, the people, Terry and Chris, Jim, like they do the US Open, the the tournament, right? Kind of had this crazy idea. Let's, you know, let's do a, like, you know, voluntary academy kind of type of thing for pickleball. And that was really where it all originated from, where people would come in and local people, people from out of town And come in and and do training every day. And people from out of town would come in and spend a few days. And they would have a location to come to. I mean, like, Mark, you go around and do stuff. It's hard when you have a family to be traveling all the time. So I wanted to stay put and have people come to me.
2: Yeah, having having that set up. And, I mean, not just staying put and having people come to you, but... You have one of the nicest places to play pickleball there is, right? So I love hearing when people say, oh, well, we just went for it. Life's too short. We're just going to go for it. I actually kind of think that that's sort of the way that I perceive you to play pickleball, right? This kind of like all out, just going for it, not holding back kind of approach. And it seems like it's worked out really well. And I think what a perfect pairing between having the tournament, the U.S. Open, and having this U.S. Open Academy at the exact same location. It's fantastic.
1: We are very, we feel very lucky. I guess, you know, you make your own luck at the same time, but we have been very lucky with the people that have surrounded us and we are very, very fortunate and we are very thankful for everything that has happened to us for sure.
0: Well, you're in a prime position too, seeing people not just there locally, but people coming to you from around the country and around the world, you can see, I guess, a lot of the commonality in people, and you probably see the same things over and over again, you find yourself maybe giving some of the same advice over and over again to a 3-5, a 4-0, a 4-5. What are some of the things, Simone, that you see over and over that most players beneath the 5-0 level, most of them are probably guilty of, including me?
1: How much time do we
0: have?
1: <laughs> 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 so, so, you know, I don't like to put people into boxes. But I kind of feel like I do, you know, because some of the trends are some of the things that I used to do as a tennis player. Cross-stepping, you know, crossovers are deadly in this game. I watch my videos from when I first started playing like my first national tournament to compare to now. I've changed my footwork tremendously, especially on the backhand side. I love my backhand dinks now, but I hated them back when I had that footwork. I caught myself hitting the ball way behind me most of the time. So Um,
2: just for the listeners at home, when you're talking about crossovers versus shuffling right now, you're talking specifically when you're up at the kitchen line, like when you're in a dinking rally, is that what you mean? Or back? Yes.
1: So, so in the base, I mean, even in the baseline, most of the time I still keep my hips forward. I used to turn my whole body because that's how you do it in tennis. So now I've gone to to like my third shot. I still put my left, like if I'm hitting with my forehand, I'm still putting my left foot forward and keeping my right foot like a weight transfer. However, I'm not turning my side. I'm still keeping my hips forward. I feel like my contact point is better because I keep the ball in front of me. Also, I feel that my footwork is better moving forward as well. So then that way, all I have to do now is take off with my right and start running up. If I am now on a fifth shot, like a transition area in between, you know, the baseline and the kitchen, I go all hips forward. My split, like I do a really small split step, is not, nothing like tennis. I call like a, a silent split step because it doesn't make noise from the shoes. So then it's very quiet, but I stay light on my feet my hips are facing forward. I'm either taking that ball out of the air with a soft volley into the kitchen. That's my fifth shot into the kitchen. Or if the ball bounces, then again, I am, I might take a step forward if I need to, but my hips are staying forward.
2: So I guess in this case, so you're in a dinking rally, whether it's cross court onto your back end or whatever. So not only by staying forward with that open stance as opposed to a crossover or a neutral stance is after you hit that ball, it's the recovery back to the middle is easier, right? Because you can push off that outside leg. Absolutely. You've just shuffled out, you play the dink and you can, that's a more explosive recovery step Um, versus I'm in the same boat as you. I used to always sort of step across and then realize that the recovery became much harder. Um, Correct.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I, as the more I coach, uh, people actually help me all the time because I've played a few sports, but I haven't played, I, I never played basketball. And I had a basketball player tell me, "Oh, it's like defense basketball." And then he showed me. I was like, "Absolutely, that is it." So trying to find common ground with people, whatever they can, they can assimilate. At the fr- how they, they get that information, the process, the information is what is going to you know get them to, you know to be able to execute. Uh, so I, I believe that uh, a basketball defender, they keep their hips forward and they are more shuffling side to side versus cross stepping, which is what what happens with tennis players. You know, we we are used to cross stepping. That's what we do. We are taught from an early age to do that. But then something that goes with that is that because they cross step, the pedal automatically goes way back. And then to control a dink with that is very difficult. So they end up swinging and over hitting the ball.
2: For average players at home, I can imagine people saying, Well, that's great for Simone. I mean, have you seen seen this woman move on the court, how fast she is? Sure, if a ball's hit four or five feet to her left, she can shuffle out there, play it, and then recover back. But for a lot of people who are less mobile, that's not always an option. So in your case, if someone ever hits a ball so wide that you can't get there with shuffling steps, or for the average players uh, that might be listening, is there a point where when you're moving laterally, it shouldn't be a a sidestep. Is there a point or a shuffle? Is there a point where you need to rely on a crossover?
1: Absolutely. I mean, to me, you know, and I always tell, I mean, who doesn't like to win, right? If you're (laughs) going to die by it, then, then don't, you know? So, so to me, it's like your objective always is to get the ball back, right? That is your number one priority, get the ball back and play. And then your number two is to get the ball back and play without, hurting you or your your partner. So what I mean by that, if the ball gets pulled out wide and you can't get to it with shuffling and you end up crossing over, just remember, you do not want to just pop a ball up and your partner gets hammered with the ball, right? That's mm-hmm. when you get the look. <laughs>
2: yeah, so, oh
1: yeah.
0: I've, I've gotten the look many, the many look, times. Yeah. yeah.
1: So then that's when you got to figure it out. Okay, what's plan B or what's plan C? And I always say when you get out of position and think of, soft hands, somehow get that ball into the kitchen that it bounces. And then, you know, a last resort, throw the ball up then and get yourself some time. Do whatever you can to get yourself some time for recovery. Because if you're out of position and you just hammer the ball, they're going to go to your partner or through the hole.
2: Right. Now, Chris, I feel like we're going to get a lot of angry emails if we have this chance to speak with Simone and we don't ask her about two-handed backhands. Oh, yeah.
0: (laughs) That's a great point, Mark. And let's do this, Simone. This is so much fun. You've got so many interesting things to say. And uh, I know the listeners are going to want to hear even more from you. Would you be so kind as to join us next week for a part two?
1: Absolutely. I would love to do that.
0: Well, we are looking forward to it. We will talk to you then. Thank you. And between now and then, if you want to find out more about Simone Jardine and the U.S. Open Pickleball Academy, Just go to usopenpickleballacademy.com. Of course, we've linked to it in the show notes for you. Mark Rennison's at thirdshotsports.com. He's got his videos there, his newsletter, lots of great info. And we've got the Engage World Series of Pickleball coming up here in Asheville. September 29th, 30th, October 1st. Again, do not delay. June is the absolute best time to get your tickets. They'll never be more affordable. Get $75 off your buy-in in the month of june wsopb.com that's the place you want to go i'm chris allen this is the pickleball show and until next week keep them low